This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property here on NPR.nz. Lovely to have your company today. And I'm just going to start with a little bit of local news around Palmer's North and Manawatu and then a little bit of news about the Wairarapa market which is going pretty crazy as well. So there's been a bit of real estate in the news lately. Uh, this one from uh, the commercial side of things. An investment company buys Palmer's North Shopping Centre. So the downtown Palmer's North Shopping Centre has been sold to an investment company representing Iwi and Māori Trusts. Sale to Iwi Investor Group Holdings Limited settles on March the 1st after 30 years in the hands of downtown on Broadway Limited. 30 years, wow, that's gone quick. I remember when that was uh, pretty much brand new. <laughs> Maybe some of you do too. So the shareholders of, uh, of the current, or, or the sellers, are members of the Higgins and Norwood families. Downtown is the city's second biggest mall and is home to event cinemas, the Health Hub, Cotton On, 42nd Street Eatery and other shops. Last year, the Time Zone Gaming Arcade returned to the mall after a lengthy absence. It seems people are really enjoying that, some of the young people. For me, it's just a bit too noisy. I must be getting old. So downtown then, by my reckoning, must have opened in 1990. So the Iwi Investor Group Holdings represents mostly central North Island small to medium interests. It has a presence in Palms North, managing investments on behalf of two Iwi in the new FMG building on the corner of Church and Pitt Streets. Iwi Investor Group Holdings Director Tim Fitzgerald said the strength of the Palms North economy made it an attractive option for investment. It's too early to talk about future plans and options to enhance it were a work in progress. Fitzgerald said the retail sector in New Zealand was performing well, especially compared with overseas. Not, not surprising, I guess, when you consider COVID. The FMG partnership had given the company an affinity for the district and it was keen to buy downtown because chunkier investments didn't come up often in the area. So you might recall just a little while ago that the plaza was also for sale. <coughs> According to property records, the three units that make up downtown, including the car park, had a capital value of $20.3 million in 2018. So that's interesting there. That settles uh, 1st of March. This article by Jimmy Ellingham in the Manawatu Standard says state houses numbers stagnate while public housing list or waiting list rises. So waiting lists for public housing continue to rise amid unprecedented demand for accommodation away from the private rental sector, yet the number of state houses in Palmas North has declined in the past five years. New figures released to staff reveal that there were 1,434 state houses in the city on October 31st, down from 1439 in the 2015-2016 financial year. So the numbers have remained virtually unchanged over the past five years as Kainga Ora Owned properties are demolished, redeveloped or sold at about the same rate as new state houses are built. You may recall there's still quite a bit of land around the place where state houses were removed that haven't yet been replaced. 
What they have been doing, though, I've noticed, is um, breaking up larger sections to put new state houses, new builds on smaller sections, usually at a three-to-one sort of ratio, replacing one house with three. So that's, that's something positive that they're doing. But figures released under the Official Information Act show 12 state houses were built in the city in the 2020-21 to year to October 31st, 19 in the 2019-20 to year and 16 in the previous four years. In that time, demand for public housing has risen sharply. According to figures from the Ministry of Housing and Urban Development, there were 660 applicants on the register in Palmas North in September, up, 550, up from 550 in June. The government in January announced its public housing plan for the next three years, outlining where 8,000 new public and transitional homes promised in the past budget will go. About 200 houses were in the planning stage and were expected to be finished in Palmas North by 2024, according to the Ministry. And at least 35 transitional housing places were due for completion by 2022 with more planned. In the meantime, community providers are doing the best to fill the gaps. So Legacy Housing owns 14 properties in Palmas North, evolving out of the Shepherd's Rest Trust, and it generally caters for single men but helps others too. Demand for rooms has increased hugely in the past few years, according to General Manager Jason Bellworthy. It provides accommodation for about 80 people. Our mission in a housing sense, we want to make sure Palmas North is not like Queen Street, with people literally on the streets, people in sleeping bags and rough sleeping, he said. When I started my role about three years ago, we used to have 10 empty rooms at a time, but at the moment we'd be down to one or two uh, empty rooms and the waiting list can be as high as 30 people. They've also increased their capacity from 67 to 80. Palmas North MP Tangi Utakeri said, One reason for the reduction in state houses in this area was due to the government over the past three years getting rid of properties not fit for purpose. He was pleased to see that Palmas North was singled out in the government's housing plan as an area needing attention and said he would work with Kainga Ora and private providers and watch their progress. This one also in the news recently, about, uh, around about a week ago, Palmas North seeks $250 million roading makeover. So planning for a $250 million redevelopment of roads in and around Palmas North is the proposed top priority for transport spending in the Horizons region for the next 10 years. The Council's Regional Transport Committee recommended adoption of the draft Regional Land Transport Plan, which will go out for public consultation next week. Uh, it lists 19 significant projects for the region, setting priorities based on connectivity and access, safety, better travel options, reducing carbon emissions and resilience in the network. The top of the list is the Palmas North Integrated Transport Initiative with $9 million to be spent in the first three years and an estimated $250 million needed to implement the plan over several decades. The so public detail about the plan is currently scarce, but staff confirmed its focus is on the long-signalled regional freight ring road and connections. Tamir Grantsmith said... Taking freight movements out of the urban area and onto roads around the city is a priority for safety. At the moment, trucks carry freight and they go through the middle of residential streets and past many schools. Far, far from ideal. And so that's uh, being debated in, uh, this month. And really the plan is mainly designed to support this region's role as a strategic freight and distribution centre within the national supply chain. So it's really uh, good to see that this, uh, in conjunction with the Kiwi Rail Hub, 
they're being built could really help fantastically. Uh, the infrastructure, if it goes ahead, will serve us for at least another 50 years, which will be fantastic. Palmerston North is also planning to spend $64 million enabling other transport options such as cycling. Grant Smith, the Mayor, says that we've moved a long way from where we used to be. Um, the regional plan's second priority was local road upgrades linking to the future Old Thucky to north of Levin Highway, followed by intersection improvements at State Highway 1 and State Highway 57 at Levin. There were other improvements planned for intersections of Roberts Line and Kairanga, Bunnythorpe Road, State Highway 3 Napier Road and Timatai Road, State Highway 3 Rangitiki Line and State Highway 54 near Newbury. Next on the list, State Highway 1 improvements between Bulls and Sanson and Palmerston North's urban bus capital. So just talking about the Kiwi Rail hub for a moment, in the Manawatu Standard uh, late last month, uh, Kiwi Rail was asked for more information about the freight centre, according to this article by Janine Rankin. Kiwi Rail says it's not daunted by the list of 188 extra questions about its proposed new rail freight handling yards just on the outskirts of Palmerston North. So in late October, Kiwi Rail lodged a notice of requirement asking the Palmerston North City Council to designate the 177 hectare site alongside Riley Road between the airport and Bunnythorpe. It was supported by three volumes of information about the construction and management of a range of effects on the environment, community and networks. The council replied in December with a long request for further information. It originally asked for answers to be supplied by February the 1st, but has agreed to extend the deadline by a couple of weeks. And this includes issues such as lighting, stormwater management, social and economic effects, and impacts on the roading network and cultural assessments. A Kiwi Rail spokesman said there were no surprises in the request. For a project of this scale, it is common for there to be additional questions from Council. They said the two parties have been working constructively together on the process. And so Kiwi Rail is working through the questions with the project team and expects to respond to the City Council in mid-February. The first phase of planning for the $2 billion to $4 billion development and land purchases including buying 24 houses, being paid for from a $40 million Provincial Growth Fund grant. Kiwi Rail's application was expected to be notified in February or March, at which stage the public will be invited to make submissions. And a date for formal hearing will be set later after that. So it'll be a three-week hearing and will be likely to take place in the first quarter of this year. Just in some other news here, based on the, well now a bit of a change of um, change of direction I guess, the Climate Change Commission's first report has been released recently and this headline from Stuff Business says, gas fitters fear for their businesses while consumers rethink installations. Homeowners are rethinking uh, or cancelling gas installations following the proposed ban on new gas connections to homes and buildings from 2025. Gas fitters and plumbers are in shock that a ban on new gas connections to homes and buildings could come so soon and are worried about their future livelihoods. Uh, most gas fitters are also plumbers, mind you. The ban is proposed in a draft report from the new Climate Change Commission to the government, which was recently released. 
They say the aim is to phase out the use of piped natural gas and LPG bottled gas over 30 years, starting with the ban on new connections from 2025. Master Plumber's Chief Executive Greg Wallace said he'd had messages from hundreds of members saying customers were reviewing their decisions on installing gas hot water, central heating and cooking appliances following the release of the draft report. We've had gas fitters with hot water systems cancelled this week, he says, gas hobs cancelled and central heating systems all cancelled on the back of a draft report that the government's put out for feedback. Gas used in homes was a tiny proportion or only 3% of all gas used in New Zealand and he'd been told it produced a very small amount of the country's emissions, 0.25%. Why are we focusing on 3% of the market, you'd have to wonder, when factories, commerce and power stations use the other 97%. So that's caused a bit of a, a few fears there. It is just a report at this stage, but we'll just have to see how things go there. Uh, obviously, if you're in that line of work, that would have a huge impact. Also, in the slightly wider region I mentioned earlier, just want to talk a little bit about Wairarapa. So the QV's new estimates show huge land value increases in Wairarapa. So it's the we all know that house prices have been rising in that region, but it's the land underneath that's had the most extraordinary gains. The value of Masterton's residential properties has risen by 47% from September 2017 to the same month last year. That pales in comparison to Martinborough's land values, which have increased a staggering 76% over the same period. And Masterton, Carterton and South Wairarapa district property owners will soon receive their 2020 QV notice of rating valuation in the post. These are carried out on all New Zealand properties every three years to help council set rates for the following three-year period which reflect the likely selling price of a property at effective revaluation date, which was on September the 1st, 2020. The Carterton residential property averages grew by 37% to 523000 as of last September. While the average value of residential house in South Wairarapa was 631000 an increase of 40% over the last three years. And land values in both Masterton and Carterton increased by two-thirds at 66%, with a gain of 50, 58% on average in South Wairarapa. So uh, even though these prices have skyrocketed, they are still affordable compared to many other parts of the country. They give an example of uh, buyers Chris Davies and Dave Berry who just bought a five-hectare block north of Marston for around $400,000, which is about half of what it would cost where they currently live in Waikato. So the couple were moving from rural Hamilton to get away from the rat race, and they were, they were surprised by how frantic the real estate market was right now. Um, and uh, certainly big changes in that area could be also just to do with uh, the proximity to Wellington as well. So we're going to take a little bit of a music break now and then we'll be back with Tenant Blacklists. But in the meantime, here's the Travelling Wilburys with End of the Line. Well, it's all
around and wait for the phone to ring Waiting for someone to tell you everything Sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring Maybe a diamond ring Well, it's all right Even if to say you're wrong Well, it's all right Sometimes you gotta be strong Well, it's all right As long as you got so much to lay Somewhere down the road when somebody plays At the end of the line The purple haze Well, it's all right Even when push comes to show Well, it's all right If you got someone to love Well, it's all right Everything will work out fine Well, it's all right We're going to the Glad to be here, happy to feel that. And it don't matter if you're by my side. I'm satisfied. Well, it's all. Here on Property Matters, I'm Greg Watson, and you're here on Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Natangata o Manawatu. It's lovely to have your company here. We've just been uh, talking before the break about what's happening in the local uh, market, really, things that have been going on. And now we're just going to change and talk a little bit about something that's been in the news lately about bad tenants lists turning up online for landlords. So this article from stuff.co.nz says landlords publishing bad tenants list online could be breaking the law. Landlords are compiling lists of so-called bad tenants on websites and social media, a move that could get them into trouble for defamation and breach of privacy. The New Zealand United Landlords website offers members access to a list of people who are deemed undesirable tenants. Tenant checks are advertised on the site for $10 apiece. Prospective members are encouraged to add names to the list to gain a discount on a gold membership. A Facebook group called Bad Tenants New Zealand, Landlords Only, also has a list of almost 200 bad tenants featuring full names and locations and visible to all 3,200 members. 
Posts made by members also name tenants with unverified allegations against them. There seems to be no checks or criteria to be on the latter list, which was created in January of 2018. A barrister and the Privacy Commissioner have warned those behind the list could be in breach of privacy and liable for defamation, while a tenant named on one described them as a disgusting invasion of privacy. A woman named on the Bad Tenants New Zealand Landlords Only list, whom staff has chosen not to name, was angry to learn of its existence. It blows me away. She was ordered by the Tenancy Tribunal to pay two, in 2018 to pay rent arrears and bond to her landlord, but said the landlord did so much wrong within the tenancy as well. We have never had any problems with the landlord before and will only go through agencies because of these people. She said she would complain to the Privacy Commissioner about the list. And the United Landlords website advertises its own list of bad tenants. And this is what they say. The Tenancy Tribunal of New Zealand cannot force a bad tenant to meet their obligations, but that does not mean that the tenant's history is limited to that only landlord, the website states. So get angry, get over it, and get even. Let's make them famous and immortalise their names and photos on record forever. So there's no public name behind the United Landlords website or its public Facebook page. Messages stuff sent to Facebook page this week were left unanswered. So Christchurch Senior Barrister Catherine Delzeal, an experienced privacy lawyer, said those behind the pages were in breach of the Privacy Act. They were soliciting information about the tenants from former or current landlords in an unfair way with no right of recourse, without any transparency for tenants, she said. Tenants who appeared on the list could claim for breach of privacy unless they'd authorised their names being added to it. Landlords can refer tenants to debt collection agencies where they may end up with a bad credit rating, but they will have difficulty in establishing that there is a right to name and shame them on a site like this. People running the list could also be liable for defamation, she said. So those setting up the site made a big assumption that the landlords who provided names were telling the truth. Aggrieved landlords should lodge complaints about tenants through the right channels, such as the Tenancy Tribunal, Delzeal said. So, so that just uh, was something that was in the news recently. I don't know what your thoughts are around that. Um, to me, it just seems, you know, certainly the privacy side of things, you have to be so careful these days. So the Office of the Privacy Commissioner said the Privacy Act gave people the right to access information that was held about them and to ask for that information to be corrected if it was wrong. So according to the Privacy Commission's website, if a landlord wants to share tenant information with other landlords via an online database, they need to consider the following. Landlords who use shared databases should be open and transparent to tenants about the use of them and give them the opportunity to comment, provide context or correct inaccurate information. Landlords should seek the explicit consent of tenants to have their information listed in a shared database. Landlords should also be clear to the tenant as to what the consequences are if the tenant declines to be listed on the database. Landlords should ensure that tenants know of any adverse information so they can contest it, whether it's wrong or inaccurate. So this followed on to an article more recent that says property managers told to quit Facebook page that publishes blacklist of tenants. So hundreds of property managers across the country were signed up to a social media page uh, with the blacklisting on it. But it's come under fire because there's more than uh, it, it gives identities, passport details, and photographs of tenants to more than 3,400 followers. Again, just to reiterate, often these are unverified in, um, in terms of the allegations, and tenants do not have a right of response. So Renters United spokesperson Robert Whitaker said this is deeply worrying. 
He says property managers are shortlisting by any mechanism they can. If they have to choose between 20 people, if the name's familiar because they've been seen in this group, they're going to be struck off. He said that while a property manager may not be consciously using the list, it could create unconscious bias. The Property Management Institute of New Zealand declined an interview, but in a statement said it does not endorse members joining these groups. It has reminded members they should be following established vetting processes rather than engaging in online and unverified gossip. Radio New Zealand contacted some of the big firms whose members are subscribed to the page. Harcourt's turned down an interview. And in a statement, Ray White said it does not support the use of unregulated platforms or pages and that should evidence be provided that a franchisee has breached the privacy rights of any tenant that would investigate. It said Facebook groups have no effect on its existing tenant application, vetting and selection process. But Barford and Thompson agreed to an interview, so its general manager of property management, Samantha Arnold, said she was not aware the members were signed up to this Facebook page, but she does not believe that it's been used for vetting tenants. Because if it is for vetting, she says it's not ethical and it's definitely not something we'd want to be using for verification at all. And staff have been asked to quit the page immediately. A bad tenant could be just someone's opinion and it could be just a clash with the owner. And that's exactly why we wouldn't rely on someone else's information because it's opinion at the end of the day rather than fact. We would much rather see a tribunal report to see if there have been any rent arrears. But Rob Whitaker said, merely telling property managers to stop using the pages do not address the real issue. What this shows is that there is no ethical base to these companies. Their individual agents should already have enough professional ethics to know joining these groups is totally inappropriate. Saying we're telling our members to leave that group doesn't address the broader problem of ethics in the industry. Which brings me to my next point, of course, that the property management industry is barely regulated. In fact, I would say unregulated. But prior to last year's election, the Labour Party has promised to introduce a code of conduct into the industry. And in a statement, the Ministry of Housing and Urban Development said work is underway on this and the Minister will be giving advice in the coming coming months. And in the meantime, the Privacy Commission Commission will be cracking down on information sharing in the rental market. So therefore it's uh, quite a lot behind the scenes here just to make sure that this sort of stuff doesn't carry on. Um, but the Real Estate Institute's view on this was in another article by, in Stuff Business saying that tenant blacklists are another reason to regulate property management according to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. So Bindi Norwell, the CEO, has welcomed the Privacy Commissioner's move and said it was disappointing to hear that bad tenant databases were being created. From our understanding, she says, we believe that most of the users of these websites are private landlords rather than property managers. We'll be very clear with our members that use of such databases is likely to be unlawful, not something we would consider as acceptable. People working in the provision of rental properties needed to understand their obligations under the Privacy Act and respect individuals' privacy, Norwell said. And this included a two-step application process recommended by the Privacy Commissioner whereby more detailed information wasn't required until a potential tenant had been identified as a preferred candidate. That's all we have for this week's show. Always plenty of news and plenty happening in the world of real estate. Thank you so much for your company here. And you'll be able to find this on npr.nz or where all good blogs are found. Until next week, have a great week. I'm Greg Watson. Talk again soon. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. 
Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.